Well, JP, I am super excited. We are in the home stretch coming to the AANS meeting. Uh, that's going to be starting this Thursday in Philadelphia. I am very excited and privileged to have been involved in this. As you know, Reg Haid is the president, and he's allowed Adam Arthur, who's the annual meeting chair, to, uh, to work closely with me to construct a meeting that I think everybody's going to enjoy. Uh, we have uh, instituted many changes. We've moved the meeting to the weekend so people have uh, a better ability to work it into their schedule of, of, of surgery and clinic. And we uh, are excited to have multiple symposia, including the Haros and Sontag Symposia on Thursday. We are going to be having a number of featured guest speakers, including the celloist Yo-Yo Ma, uh, the um, artist Lisa Wainwright, and uh, Peggy Noonan, who I love from the Wall Street Journal. So I'm, I'm super excited about going into this, and I hope that uh, many of our listeners will be able to come to the meeting in person. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, Dr. Wang, I am uh, really, really looking forward to this meeting. I, I was actually thinking about it when we were getting ready to record here. I haven't been to a meeting since uh, the CNS in San Francisco where we launched this podcast. And then between junior residency and all of the shutdowns during the pandemic, this will be the first in-person meeting that I get to attend again. So I'm really excited to see everybody in the community I'm really excited to connect with some people who have been listening to our show or who have been on the podcast and be able, be able to talk to them face to face. And honestly, I'm, I'm excited to see the exhibits. Um, it, you know, you talked about your role in putting the meeting together for our listeners. You're, you're very humble, but you're named the chair of the scientific program committee this year. So hats off to you. Um, so I, I wonder if in addition to some of those visiting speakers you've talked about, the symposia uh, honoring doctors Harris and Sontag, what other changes or um, adaptations to this new world of, you know, partially virtual, partial back in person meetings can we expect? Yeah, there are a number of things that have happened. We've increased the number of program reunions that are happening on Friday and Saturday night. We have uh, dinner CME events uh, scheduled for and cocktail receptions on fr I'm sorry, on Saturday and Sunday night. And we have the new community sessions, which are open to everybody. I, I know it seems odd when you register. It's like they want you to pick a community, but actually you can go to any of these uh, 13 communities, which are intended to be really in-depth, interactive discussions in a smaller setting, not so big, uh, where you can focus on a topic, whether it be something like uh, functional neurosurgery or uh, aneurysm treatment, open aneurysm tre treatment or endovascular treatment, and really get into the into the weeds in terms of what's happening in, in that sub subspecialty of neurosurgery. And I, and I agree with you about the meetings and pe people getting back to um, real life. I, I took a airplane trip uh, yesterday and it was the first time we didn't have to wear masks. Yeah. It was nice. Um, we know that during the pandemic, the meetings that were smaller, like 500 and below have been very well attended. But the larger meetings, the really large meetings have not um, been as well subscribed. I'm thinking back to NAS last year, AAOS this year. Uh, but right now, the way this looks is AANS and Philly will um, be on the mark to have about 3,000 people there. Wow. So that's going to be the first big meeting yeah, since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm very excited. Um, JP, like if, if someone sees you and wants to talk to you, maybe has an idea for the podcast, what do you recommend they do? Just walk up and say hi. I think I'm a classically a very approachable person, and um, pro probably you could put me on the other end of the spectrum from uh, Dr. Wang in terms of how busy I'll be uh, running around like a whirling dervish at the meeting. So if, if you see me, please feel free to just walk up, say hello, introduce yourself. If you've been on the show, I would love to see you 
face to face and shake your hand and actually get to meet uh, all the many people that we've had the honor and privilege to have these deep conversations with. Um, if you'd like to be on the show, if you have uh, any comments, any feedback, any questions or suggestions, you can always just walk up and say hi. You can always write us at neurosurgerypodcast at gmail.com if you want to set up a meeting ahead of time and, and say, hey, if you're going to be free Saturday afternoon, come see me at such and such. Um, we, we love connecting with the audience, connecting with our former or future guests. And so um, it, it would be truly an honor and a privilege to get to connect with some of this community that, that has been so kind to follow us over these past few years in person uh, at the meeting in Philadelphia. And you know, Dr. Wayne, speaking of uh, yeah, the show and kind of the past yeah. and, the, and the future of the show, today we're kicking off yet a new mini-series uh, looking at the role of business and formal business education and training in the lives of neurosurgeons. And, and this one, you know, the last series we did was kind of my brainchild. This one was is, is your intellectual baby. So what, what's your vision and, and what do you want to bring to our listeners with this next mini-series? Yeah, well, JP, th this really comes from a very selfish place. Um, I am in the process of, of um, potentially moving towards uh, enrolling in an MBA program. I'm still a little bit on the fence about it. Mm. And I started to talk to lots of folks who've done an MBA, uh, usually after training, but some have done it during their training. And I, you know, I've always wanted to be part of that world. And I think that a lot of neurosurgeons have a highly entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of neurosurgeons have a great management ability. A lot of uh, neurosurgeons um, have an administrative skill set, right? And so, we, you know, neurosurgeons have a lot of hobbies. And this is an area where I think people can formalize that in their education. So I'm, I'm excited to be part of this mini series because I'm going to learn a lot and I'm going to maybe formulate my opinion as to whether or not I should go into business school um, and try to get an MBA for myself. So that's why I'm doing this. And, and I hope the listeners can get something out of it as well. Well, you know, I, I've said it before many times on the show, one of the greatest perks of having a podcast is that you get to pick the guests and you get to pick the topics. So anything that you're interested in, you have an excuse to pick people's brains about it. So uh, I'm looking forward to these conversations and learning along with you. And I, I'm sure it's going to be very helpful for that decision you're making. So I'm excited to start this new mini series, and we can't wait to see all of you in Philadelphia next weekend. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today I'd like to begin a new mini-series. This mini-series will focus on neurosurgeons and the business world. And in this mini-series, what I'd like to do is interview a number of neurosurgeons who are undergoing or have already undergone training in the business world officially. That is like maybe they had an MBA or an MHA or something of that uh, order. So on our first episode of this mini-series, I'm wa wanting to welcome here Samer Zamnar. Is it Samer Zamnar? Zamar. Zamar. Uh, Samer is originally from Beirut, Lebanon. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yep. Okay. Samer, tell us a little about your history and uh, your journey into neurosurgery. Well, thank you, Dr. Wang. Um, so, uh, I was born in Lebanon. Actually, I did my med uh, my medical school at the American University of Beirut, and uh, I was always in, uh, interested in neurosurgery and neuroscience. So I decided to come to the United States to have the best education. So uh, I came here. I started uh, uh, doing a pre research fellowship with Dr. Ben Dock in 2013 at Northwestern, 
And at the same time, I felt the need of learning about the public health system in the United States and uh, the business aspect of healthcare, um, and to build some administrative skills uh, on how to make healthcare most efficient and uh, uh, safe for the patients. So um, I matched at Penn State in 2016, and um, I'm currently a sixth-year resident. Um, interested in spine and doing, uh, I'm going to do my fellowship in uh, complex and minimally invasive spine with Dr. Mumunani in uh, UCSF in 2023. And I'm currently doing my MBA at Johns Hopkins. I'm, an, I'm expected to graduate in uh, 2023, just before my fellowship. And I'm concentrating on the business aspect of healthcare, finance, and the private and public uh, sector leaderships. Okay, perfect. So you're the perfect guy to kick this off. So uh, to recap, you're a neurosurgeon in the final years and uh, of training, if you will. And then you're going to go on and do a fellowship in spine. So you're interested in spine, focusing on MIS and complex uh, spine surgery. And you're about to finish your MBA at the Johns Hopkins uh, Business School. So that's fantastic. So you've been doing this for a while so tell me about this journey of doing the MBA like how, how did it get started I know you did the MPH but did you have to apply and take the GMAT or GRE how did that whole process start and how did you find time for it yeah it was pretty uh, difficult to find time at the beginning especially because I started my application as a PGY as a PGY uh, 3 and uh, uh, I actually uh, 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 did not do any GMAT or anything. I just applied my MCAT scores and my STEP scores, which are pretty uh, 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 good and replacement of GMAT or GRE at Johns Hopkins. Um, and uh, honestly, it was an eye-opener. It was an eye-opener on how things function outside uh, medicine, outside our narrow focus in uh, neurosurgery. And uh, one of the articles actually that uh, led me to, that opened my eyes to, the, to this opportunity was an article uh, written in Forbes. And um, it said that the word belongs uh, to the generalists. So nowadays that people are specializing more and more in whatever they do, either in medicine, engineering, or other, uh, or other professions, people need to, to uh, have an idea what's going out outside the, outside their box and think outside the box and they need to have a better understanding of what's happening outside their realm and that will give them the uh, proficiency to uh, uh, to be successful in life okay let me see if I got yeah. this straight so yeah. they're saying in this article and mm -hmm. where's the article from Forbes from Forbes, Forbes. Magazine. Okay. Yep. that the world belongs to the generalist yeah. not the specialist yeah and they, they, uh, they make like a, a nice uh, uh, they present like a history like how you know it started like where everyone you know like for example let's take an example in medicine like a doctor used to treat a variety of diseases right and now like uh, let's say like someone is interested in cardiovascular like well a cardiologist used to treat everything in cardiovascular but now now we have like more and more subspecialties in in cardiology and uh, people are focusing on just a narrow field in medicine or in their profession because of increased competition and because people really need to 
uh, get the best in one segment of, of, of so, what they're but doing. Why then does the world belong to the generalist? Because when we focus uh, a lot on one thing, we tend to forget what's going on outside the world. And that's important. Like ah, the things what, that happen okay. outside uh, medicine are very important and actually are the main drive of what we do. Yeah, so they're seeing they're they're not seeing the forest for the trees, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So you read this article in Forbes, and it's exciting already that you're reading Forbes magazine, which I love. And you read this article, and and you you think there's some truth to it. So how does that motivate you to do the MBA? Well, uh, for me, because I'm, you know, uh, in neurosurgery, and I'm really focused. I was really focused on science at that uh, point, you know, and understanding the me- the medicine behind spine, medicine behind neurosurgery, and how to provide the best treatment for my patients. But at the same time, I started like seeing, you know, that physicians actually struggle outside that. Like they need to do peer to peer to to get their surgery approval. They need to understand sometimes the billing. There are lots of complex things that we don't understand. And rather than just relying on people to do this for us, I think as physicians, we should understand at least how that goes and to be able to understand and direct it. And more importantly, take leadership in how we can uh, uh, guide this for for our future and for the future trainees. Okay, so that, I mean, but that's a big stretch to say, okay, now I'm in the middle of residency, but I'm going to go do an MBA, and especially Johns Hopkins is in Baltimore and you're in, in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So it's not too close, but it's close enough. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a financial investment on your part too, yeah. right? It's financial and it took lots of my time and still taking some of my time, but uh, I, uh, it's honestly valuable how much... Uh, 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 benefit I got from uh, from just learning about communication, business communication, negotiation, like the role of administrators, even like in healthcare diagnostics, like what does the FDA do, and does it matter if the FDA uh, approves a uh, device? Do we need the CMS to approve the same thing? How does billing impact like the hospitals, the facility, and how do physicians actually act? based on a test that's approved by FDA, but not approved by CMS, for example. For example, I can give you an, uh, an example about the recent article that came in neurosurgery about the special type of vagal nerve simulators that uh, has shown like really good benefits in stroke patients, like uh, rehab when combined with rehab compared to rehab alone. You know, that device was approved by FDA, but we didn't see it kick in yet because CMS did not approve it yet. Although like CMS pays for uh, for this device for uh, let's say big nerve simulator for seizures, it's not really approved yet for um, for uh, uh, stroke rehabilitation. So does this impact how much the physicians would do this or does this impact the facilities more and where do the patients stand in this? And this helps in giving like bigger picture of how we position ourselves the healthcare society system and the patients. Okay, now that's very exciting to me because, you know, it's 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 an area I've always toyed with. I've always wanted to go to business school, so you're getting me excited about this. And I, I have to selfishly say that I'm exploring this mini-series partly because I'm trying to make a decision myself should I go and invest in doing an MBA. So you, you start in the process. You start taking classes. And who are most of your classmates like? Like, are they doctors? Or are they just are, – are, is it a general MBA or is it just healthcare? It's a general MBA, but you have the opportunity to uh, concentrate uh, in healthcare. 
And you know, knowing Johns Hopkins, they're pretty well known in healthcare. And so we have lots of doctors, lots of physicians, lots of people, even administrators that already work in the uh, in the healthcare field that are interested in learning more. And it's it's a nice general, and you have you take like general courses at first, which are very important in business, like understanding the basics of microeconomics, macroeconomics, and how this affects the whole system, whether it's in healthcare, technology, innovation, medical companies, and then focus on what you want. And particularly for us as professionals in neurosurgery, we want to focus on healthcare. We would like to focus on healthcare and see how we can integrate healthcare in this socioeconomic aspect. Okay. So give me an example. Like you, you know, you take, uh, I understand in business school, they do a lot of, a lot of practical like case studies Mm -hmm. and assignments and all that projects. Tell me, give me an example of like how you learn something at Johns Hopkins and then you're like, oh, I'm going to apply this or maybe you already applied it in your life as a neurosurgery uh, resident. Yeah. Well, I mean, one one of the interesting things I remember uh, from negotiation, from a negotiation course, for example, that had nothing to do with medicine, but just basic way of interacting with anyone. Um, For example, I learned in uh, negotiation, like, you know, when two people are negotiating, we would always think like they need to compromise. But I learned that there's a better way than compromise. And so actually, I learned that compromising is not the best way of negotiation. You should never go there just you know, and having the, the thinking that about reaching a compromise and think, like walk out of the deal like victorious. That's, that's not how it works. Okay. A new way of thinking like how to approach negotiation is to add value for yourself and for the person you're negotiating with. And this is actually hard because it's not a bargain kind of thing. Negotiation nowadays are not bargaining. Like we're not just... Uh, uh, negotiating okay I want to have more money or I want to buy this cheaper no and you want to sell it to me like more expensive it's not just like bid and ask price it's it's more than that it's like how you can create value for yourself and for uh, the other party and for example uh, you know like uh, there's a really nice example given in the uh, when uh, in in the Israeli uh, and uh, Egyptian war uh, when it happened uh, in the 70s. And, Although this is political negotiation, right? But yeah, that's, okay. a, that's an example yeah. of the real yeah, yeah, world. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's And good. actually, uh, you know, the Egyptians and the Israelis, like, the, the, they were in disagreement about, like, who should control the Sinai, Sinai, the, the Sinai, the, yeah, Sinai, Sinai Desert. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, it came from the Americans uh, that they uh, proposed a solution where actually uh, both parties you know, uh, win because they asked, they, they looked for um, what the Egyptians want. The Egyptians wanted, wanted the Egyptian flag on the uh, Sinai desert. However, the uh, Israeli wanted, wanted that to be a safe demilitarized area. So at the end, like they, both of them, like the both parties agreed that, well, well, we'll give it back to Egypt, but as long as Egypt, for example, uh, 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 does not put military weapons in that peninsula. Another uh, example, for example, that's a theor- theor- theoretical one, the two sisters and an orange. They're two twin sisters, sister A and sister B. They, sister B walks to the kitchen seeing sister A like getting an orange. And there's only one orange in the, in the okay. kitchen. So sister B tells her sister A, hey, no, I, I really need that orange. So, of course, they compromised. They uh, cut the orange in half. 
Sister A took the, her part of the orange to, um, her, to her part of the kitchen and squeezed it for orange juice while sister B used it to peel to peel it for a cake while so both you know lost like half of the orange they could have asked each other what do you really want from getting the orange and if they both agreed oh I want the orange for this thing what I wanted for an orange juice or I wanted to peel it for a cake that they would have gained like 100% more Right. So what you're saying is that not everybody is seeing the same value in any proposition. So if you can find the the, the added value for each party, yeah. there's the potential for having one plus one is more than two, right? Like yes, it's, exactly. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. I got it. So you can make the pie bigger for everyone. Yeah, I, I agree with that philosophy. I would say that, you know, uh, we were talking about negotiating in terms of, um, you know, trying to get a job as a neurosurgeon and how to, how to best... Uh, utilize resources maybe another way to put it to distribute them appropriately in a negotiating situation so for example like maybe if you're coming to a new job and the hospital's a little cash poor and they don't want to pay you as much but they have a lot of OR time maybe they can give you the OR time mm-hmm. and you would take a little less salary and maybe be able to do more surgery that way right yep and so that's a that's a very good concept let me ask you about the challenges of going to business school like I know that a lot of folks, when they go to business school, they, they say the hardest classes are like in finance. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're really good at math. Like, can you tell me a little about what it was like to tackle all that? I actually uh, liked finance. I learned a lot from finance. I, um, I learned that the market is so susceptible and uh, to everything, basically, to everything that happens, either nationally or internationally. And I felt like it's important to understand where we're going with the market, like understanding not just the stock market, but how how different firms, you know, value their product and sell their product based on financial decisions in the market is pretty important. And the most importantly, like the macroeconomics things that happen, like, for example, now inflation or, you know, the Russian war on Ukraine, how this affects the whole macroeconomy. And for sure, like healthcare gets its fair share with this because, you know, healthcare is heavily uh, related to technology, for example. So uh, uh, from my perspective, I learned about the derivatives. I really enjoyed that class, like understanding, like how I can leverage uh, different stocks in different companies just by using derivatives, which are not basically stocks, but they are things based on stocks um, uh, in the market and how I can use them to control my risk and actually to uh, uh, decide which trajectory I want to go with my portfolio. Yeah, so, so I mean, doing an MBA costs you time, it costs mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it it's an investment in yourself. How do you see yourself using the MBA, if you will, in your in your careers in neurosurgery? Do you see yourself like as an administrator, as a uh, leader of a group, or do you see this in terms of how you work with industry? I know it's a little early to say, but mm-hmm. if you had like a vision of what you think would be the really uh, most important contribution this time has given you, this end, this this learning has added to your 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 marketability, if you will, as a person. That's a great question. Uh, first, uh, I want to be involved in the CSNS, which is heavily in- invested in socioeconomics. Um, and uh, I think that's a, that would be a great uh, way to continue that in organized neurosurgery. And later in my life, I want to assume some, I'm looking to assume some leadership positions and that will help me in interacting with other people 
interacting with other departments, understanding that neurosurgery is just one part of this hospital, one part of the world, and we really need to interact with other people and understand what values other people want and what they appreciate and how we can work together uh, to, uh, to achieve the best outcome for both. Uh, so that's basically my uh, why I'm uh, pursuing this MBA, basically. Well, that's amazing. I mean, Sam, I, my hat's off to you. It's hard enough to go through residency. It's hard enough to do an MBA, but to do them both at the same time and have kids and a family, that's truly stellar. I understand you're going to be working with Praveen, my good friend at UCSF. Uh, I understand Praveen just finished his MBA as well. And uh, so it's really quite the trend. So we look forward to this mini series. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.